Father, I pray that you would unite us now together as one family. Underneath you, hidden under the love that you have for us, blanketed with this great hope that isn't a distant hope. It's not a far off hope, but it's a hope that is close. It's a hope that is real. It's not a concept that we've imagined up in our mind, but it is a hope that has come. Tangible hope, real hope. So show us that hope now in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, you can take a seat. So if, if you came in late today, uh, we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, we're a family, and uh, on Friday night, we lost a family member, Lexi Etheridge, and she's 23 years old. Friday night, she passed away in a car accident, um, and if you know Lexi, she's one of the most vibrant people to walk into a room. She's always ready to give out a hug, and she is fiercely compassionate to people who need compassion. Um, and I was talking with her boyfriend, Mike, yesterday, and, and he shared with me something that I didn't really know about her, that she, he was talking about how strong her faith was, and that for Mike, she was a rock for him, um, and just a real strong faith that she had. So today, what we're going to do is we're just going to process this as a family. Um, God gives us some ways to process this. God gives us, I mean, in his tenderness, he shows us how to walk through something like this, how to walk through tragedy, how to walk through loss. Um, so, so here's the pattern that we're going to just walk through together as a family. The first thing that we got to know is we've got to walk through together first. Second, so we mourn together. Third, we hope together. Fourth, we are confused together. And we're going to talk about why we feel so confused right now. And then fifth, we hope again. All right, so first thing, we come together as a family. At the heart of Christianity is a group of people who have been united to Christ. Christ has come and he has united himself to this group of people and he has called us, the church is called a family and at the head, over the top of it all, is Christ. Our king, our head, over the top of it all. Who is the one who has gathered us? Who is the one who has united us? So there's a saying that says, blood is thicker than water, talking about a family is thicker than anything else. Well, there is a bond that is deeper than you can have with a family, and it's a spiritual bond that we have with Christ where there is an eternal family, where an eternal bond has been formed, which we have with Lexi. This eternal bond has been formed, and so much so that we have this eternal bond right now in this room, and so here's what that means for us, that when tragedy and loss hits us, it doesn't mean that this bond weakens. It means this bond strengthens. It means we are more bound together. 
and we are more aware of this eternal bond that we share. And so that means we've got to commit to being a family to each other. We've got to commit to being a family to Mike. Uh, we've got to be there. And, and, he, and, you know, here's what happens. Something like this, I mean, this happens, and we don't know how to respond, and we don't know how to be there for each other, and we don't know what to do. I mean, this is so common, so we don't know what to do, and we're, emo- like, I'm emotionally drained right now. But the love that we have because of this union with Christ, this love compels us. It strengthens us to be with each other, to function as a family together. Love is compelling that. And so we see then Christ, so Christ is at the head, and so that means he is the one who has formed this family, and we do as he does, and so we see what he has done. Look at this. Here's what he does. Jesus walks into a tragedy, and here's how he handles it. John 11, Lazarus, his friend, has died. And so he walks up on the scene, all of Lazarus' friends, all of his family, they're mourning and they're weeping. And Jesus, he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's how this story goes. He knows he's about to do it, and, and he, knows the, he knows the truth about the resurrection and eternal life. But he doesn't say to everybody, guys, why are you mourning? Don't you know Lazarus is with his father in heaven? He doesn't say that. He mourns. Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus starts weeping. He knows what he's about to do, yet he still weeps. And we follow right after him. The defeater of death looks at death and weeps over what has happened. And he enters fully into the sadness of it all. He's not standing at a distance. He enters fully into the sadness of it all. And this word about Jesus is weeping. This word that's being used here, this is about a loud wailing. So, I mean, he's letting it out because he's entering into the sadness of it all fully. And the reason, you know, sometimes I think Christians, I think what we do is we, we say, ah, the resurrection, ah, eternal life. And we say, if that's true, there's no reason for us to mourn. But look, the head over the church is doing it right here. He's mourning in the midst, knowing what the future is, he's still mourning. And sometimes what we do is we become stoic. Like we stand off at a distance from it and we don't fully enter into it. Uh, and, And look at Jesus, he's entering fully into it all. Fully into the sadness of it all. And we do the same because we know. We can do this because we know that in this scenario, death does not win. It's like this. You, you picture this cloud like of, of just the morning. You picture the cloud of it all. And you're looking at this cloud. And what we do is we want to stand off at a distance. And what Jesus does is he walks right into the cloud. And he says, come in with me. Come and mourn this loss with me. And we say, I don't know if I can handle it. Come in with me. And in the midst of that, in the midst of entering into it, it doesn't crush us because we 
have hope. That's why we can enter fully into it. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal i want to say all that again this is second corinthians 4 16 through 18 we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self, our eternal self, is being renewed day by day for this light. Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that we can see, but to the things we can't see because the things that we see are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We walk in the morning and do not lose heart because we know that there is something greater at work. Somehow, the more the Christian dies on the outside, the more on the inside the eternal self becomes more and more and more alive. So much so that the Bible looks at this and says, this is just, this everything, though as much as this world sucks... It's a light momentary affliction. Why? Because of the eternal weight of glory that we're walking into. It's the weightiness of glory makes this light. Not that we don't mourn, but it's light. But in order to take hold of this way of thinking, in order for our hearts to, to, to believe this, we have to do something. We have to see something that is unseen. He says, look at the things, look at the things that are unseen. Look at the things you can't see, which doesn't seem to make any sense. In other words, the life we have always wanted, the life that we long for, the reason we're not satisfied in this world is because there's something on the other side of death that is our home. And that is what the door of heaven opens up as Christ dies on the cross and he is broken. He is the door of heaven that we now can pass through. And that is our home. It's on the other side of death. Revelation 21 says, we will see a new heaven and earth for the old will pass away. God will wipe away all of our tears and there shall be no more death. Mourning, crying, and pain shall cease, for all the former things will pass away. We shall hear one speak from the throne. Behold, I make all things new. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. But one of the things we know about God is that he keeps all of his promises. And he has promised there will come a day when there is no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. And we will be walking into an eternal joy, an eternal happiness, an eternal peace, an eternal satisfaction, and an eternal love. In Christ, you can't help but walk into that one day. And you know, 
that is stuff we can't see. But he says, look to the things that you can't see. There's things around us right now that we cannot see. Like, just take this for instance. There's microscopic things that right now we can't see. But if we got, took out a microscope, we could see them. Well, tragedy and loss has a way of being a microscope that somehow is allowing us to see the things that we hope for. I don't understand this, and I don't understand why it happens, but it seems like tragedy has a way of allowing us to see the things that we cannot see. It has a way of allowing us to see the things we're hoping for, just like we need it, just enough. Tragedy becomes this microscope that allows us to, to see everything that we're hoping for. And that's the way God, that's the way God is. He's all, I mean, there is hope. And God is always bringing up beauty up out of the ashes. That's what he does. That's what he's in the business of doing. So while we mourn, we also and the Christian is able to just walk into the, the tragedy of it all and still take hold of hope. We hope and we hope and we hope. And then, you know what faith is? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things that we cannot see. So here's what happens. We walk through tragedy and we have the microscope that allows us now to see the hope more clearly, and we can see it, and we're like, there, it's there, it's there, and we continue to hope, and you know what that does? Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, we start to have more faith, and see what God has done. He's brought beauty out of the ashes. He somehow strengthened us in the midst of tragedy, because that's what God does. So we've got to commit to mourning together, but we've got to commit to hoping together. And then after we hope something happens to us, we become very confused. Why? If you're like me right now, like I'm clinging to my hope in Christ. I'm clinging to the hope of the promises that God's given us. But also, I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on right now? This doesn't make any sense. This is weird. This is strange. And I am confused. And I want to tell you that's normal to feel that way. And here's why we're confused. Because this is not our home. 1 Peter 2.11. Peter says, we are exiles and sojourners. An exile is someone who is not home. It means we're in the wilderness. This is the wilderness, and we are wandering through this wilderness, and we are very aware that we're not home. We are, we are very aware that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, and we long to be home. And guess what? Guess what is true for an exile? They're not home, but guess what's also true? They have a home, and they're on their way there. They're waiting to walk in to this great promised land, and it's a secured promise. It's just the waiting. The Bible also says we're of good courage because we long to be away from our body so we could be at home with the Lord, at home. And here's what that means. Life in this world is not going to make any sense. Why? Because we are not home. We cry because we're not home. We experience pain because we're not home. We experience loss and suffering because we're not home. 
when I was when I was little, I used to take pebbles. And you know the air conditioning units outside the house has the fan and they're spinning around. Well, I would take a pebble from where it belongs and I would put it in this air conditioning unit. And it would the pebble was getting beat up. The pebble was getting knocked all around. And I took what I did is I took something from where it belonged and I put it where it didn't belong. And we life in this world, we're like that pebble that's being knocked all over the place and we're very aware that this is not where we belong. We have to remember that the reason this feels wrong and tragic and sad and everything is because we're not home. We don't belong here. So then we realize this, okay, this is why this is so confusing to me. So what do we do now? We hope again. We put our hope in home that is coming to us one day that we are heading there. We are exiles on our way home. And in order to get home, we have to pass through death. But it's only something that we pass through. Listen to this, Psalm 23. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We are then led into green pastures, still waters, where we find peace, rest, comfort, satisfaction. And that's the promise that we're given, and God keeps his promises. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a famous preacher in the 1950s, and he lost his wife to cancer when she was in her 30s. And on the way to the funeral, his oldest daughter said to him, uh, Daddy, if Jesus died for our sins, why do we still have to die? And he said to her, Sweetheart, would you rather walk through death or walk through its shadow? She said, I'd rather walk through the shadow. The shadow can't hurt you. And he said, Your mother has simply walked through the shadow of death because Jesus Christ on the cross walked through death itself. And because he did that, death is only something we pass through, and it is nothing to fear. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, and I'm the life. Whoever comes to me, though he die, he will still live. And that's why that's why we can mock death and say, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Because it has no hold on us. It has no power here. And one of the best ways for us to remember this together is through communion, where we're taking hold of that truth. And so we're going to do that today. As a family, we're taking communion and as we do this, communion, I want you to know what this is about. So when you see the bread broken, and it says, this is the body of Christ broken, what that means is that was Christ who went fully and walked through death. And as he walked into death and through death, and as he died, he is life, and he takes life back up again. And so that means he breaks death open. So now it's just a shadow that we pass through. Here's what's happening during communion. We are in this divine narrative that's playing out right now. And when we take part in it, 
when we take part in communion, we are writing, in a sense, ourselves into the narrative. And we're playing it out, seeing how Christ has literally died for us. So, as we're doing this together, I want us to really, really process two things. The bittersweetness of this all, where we have mourning and we have sadness, but yet as we walk into this cloud, that there's hope. And somehow in the cloud, we actually get to see the hope even more. Okay? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to take communion together. Father, show us this hope that we have. Show us that this world is only something we pass through. That it's a light momentary affliction, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Help us to see what we can't see. And God, we pray that your spirit would be here comforting us, giving us the hope that is needed. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.